Thank you for joining us today at Two Age Sojourner. We're a podcast that promotes Reformed Baptist, Confessional, Kleinian, Two Kingdom, and sometimes a millennial, not, not that often these days, Pilgrim Theology. Um, we want to explore what it means to be Reformed, to be Baptist, to be Kleinian, to be Christian. In light of the overlap of the ages, I'm Michael Beck. I'm the host of this show and uh, podcast. And um, I'm the pastor of GraceNet Community Church in Wellington. You can check us out. We've got the URL on the show notes. Um, these guys, my uh, hombres. Did I say that right? I don't know. Hombres. <laughs> what, what part of our history together makes you think I know Spanish? <laughs> Is it jalapeno or jalapeno? Uh, it's definitely, definitely jalapeno, bro. <laughs> definitely. Jalapeno. <laughs> Uh, and Nick Lively is the pastor of Covenant Grace Baptist Church in Timaru. And uh, you can get his URL on, on the show notes as well. Andre Beck, yes, uh, that is another Beck brother right there. He's the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in Felixstowe, UK, where all the corona is going down. My corona. <laughs> you guys got the action. Music on this podcast uh, was written by Jeremy Casella, my man, and performed by Indelible Grace. Um, beautiful song we got going. Go check out the, the whole thing though. It's, you know, Guide Me Without Great Jehovah, William Williams. It's like our anthem. It's truly our anthem. Pilgrim theology. I mean, my goodness, the guy wrote us a hymn to sing while we're on mm. our way. And you can check that out on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, just go to our website, 2 Age Sojourner. You can see it all there as well. And give us a rating and subscribe and join the, uh, join the conversation. We want to get this thing on <clears throat> back on live again at some point so you can really join us for the conversation but mm. we're just kind of a little bit disorganized and too lazy at the moment but um it'll happen eventually so stay with us and uh let's uh let's keep it going let's start uh let's pick it up where were we i'm baptism still right john this, calvin this marathon okay let me tell the quick sub story and then we'll uh, then we'll pick it up so what happened was we recorded mm. the best podcast ever it was truly unbelievable i mean i don't even know how to describe that thing it was incredible mind-blowing really we nailed it we nailed i mean kelvin on baptism boom i mean fesco started us off but we just took it to the heights exactly yeah <laughs> it was it um peak it was like <laughs> it was like one minute in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know don't, don't go there, Mike. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, but um, two anyways, minutes of Kelvin is but the problem was, than one minute with Kelvin. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the problem was, here's the problem. Um, Nick and I were having this great conversation and then Andrew would come, come in like a demon. You'd <laughs> 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 be like... You'd be like... <laughs> you'd be like um, we're like, hey, so Kelvin really thought, thought, thought this about baptism. And it's like, well, I don't know what Kelvin would have thought. <laughs> and it just, we tried to work in our garage band. And I don't know, man. It just, it was scary. You know, he had his gain all the way up. And we fixed the problem. Well, no, now. no, no. We fixed the problem by turning my gain up. So if anybody else thinks that's a good idea. <laughs> we turned your your uh, mic i turned my game down but nick and mike were like turn your game up like, let's yeah. see if that works well a little bit counterintuitive but it's also true but nick, nick your... explained the science to us and then we were able to able to move on that's true so give us your feedback let us know how andrew's doing there in, in the uk <laughs> uh, he has got a real microphone you can see it 
Um, it's just to get the thing to work. Anyway, so here we are. So what we're going to do is um, try and tap into our genius from last time. Um, and we're looking at Fesco's book, um, just working through it. And um, I will, we've been going a little bit slow for my liking because, you know, I want to... I don't want to spend my whole life on baptism or at least on this book, looking at baptism. Um, so if you are worried about that, don't worry, stay with us. Um, we'll, we'll just pick up the speed a little bit. It's hard to gauge. We, we're taking it quite easy and working it through it, uh, working through the whole thing. We don't, you know, we haven't really got a major game plan yet, but we wanted to discuss it through and there's a lot of great stuff. So it's easy to get caught up in the detail, but I think what we'll do is, um, I want to, if anything, get caught up in the detail and the more theological bits so we can nail it down rather than the historical bits. Um, but John Kelvin was a big one. So we spent a whole episode on him, but we're not going to do that anymore because my goodness, you know, once is okay. Twice is just a little bit uh, overplayed. So sorry, that was a lost epistle. Uh, you're going you're gonna to have to do your own reading on, on uh, Fesco on that one. But let's just uh, say a few things about Kelvin. Uh, bring out those salient points and um, we will... Then try and um, here's my game plan. Here's my ambition. It might fail, but I'll just say it for what it's worth up front. Um, we'll try and get through to the point where he talks uh, through, through orthodoxy, that whole period, all the way to high orthodoxy and the Westminster Confession. And then he lands in this really interesting little critique on the, on the 1689, um, which I think does, is definitely worth us spending a whole episode on. Mm. So I'd like to just land there and, you know, circle there and see, you know, leave that space, uh, maybe introduce it for next time. And then we'll spend a whole episode on that. I think people will be interested to, mm. to uh, think through that one with us. Um, but starting on Kelvin then, um, Nick's got a whole bunch of notes. So, you know, I'm just gonna have to hold him back every now and again, but <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. Um, all right. Kelvin defines a sacrament as an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences the promise of his good will toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith. And we turn, um, and we in turn at least attest our piety toward him in the presence of the Lord and of his angels before men. That's his whole big, uh, in, that's in quotations from Kelvin directly. So yeah, we spent, uh, that, that triggers a whole bunch of what we said last time in that we were just basically saying, dude, that's fantastic. We love it. And we love a lot of Kelvin and, and we reminded each other of why we love Kelvin. And it just became an I love Kelvin t-shirt <laughs> party really for, for a while. I think we mentioned the I love Kelvin t-shirt and, um, and then we threw it away at the end. We had a t-shirt for a while, then we ditched it at the end, but we started off really digging Kelvin. And, um, and that's just simply because he synthesized at, at some level, everything we like about everything up until this point. So you got Augustine, you got Luther, you got um, Zwingli, Zwingli all in there. Yeah. He sort of filed off the bad bits, brought in the good bits, added his yeah. own bit. And so it really is um, a very yeah. helpful uh, addition to the development of this uh, thought, especially in light of where we're going with covenant and baptism. Um, any other thoughts you guys have um, moving I forward? Just, I just remember how taken I was with Calvin, you know, just basically saying that if the preaching doesn't attend the sacrament, then it's not really a full sacrament, just how important the word is to attend it so that it's not just this thing that we're trusting in and of ourselves, but with our faith responding to the word. Yeah. That's what makes it effective. Totally. That was good. And yeah, I love that. Cause all. it kind of like he, he took the, the best of, like you said, the best of Luther, the best of Zwingli and, <clears throat> and just leveled it out <clears throat> a bit, but it was almost like he it was doing more than that and, and was really just reconstructing what they were saying 
but with with faith in the word more centrally. And so I think that was, you know, I don't know, I don't know if in his process he he was. I mean, he was obviously informed by what was going on around him, mm. but it's almost as if he just rebuilt it, you know, from from the ground up. And so yeah, yeah it is. It's great. He did that with so many doctrines as well. Just um, yeah, that's what he was. You know, I, th- I think um, either I think they used the term the great synthesizer for Kelvin because uh, mm. he just brought in so many of those patristics and you Definitely. know just synthesized it and sort of filtered yeah. it through and and you know highlighted the good bits. So that's why we all love reading Kelvin so much. Um, <clears throat> but that in that definition where he says an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences. The promises of his goodwill. I mean, that is that is the bit that I love so much. I think that you know, I never want to lose that definition right there. So yeah. I'm hooked on that one. That's my anchor, and and it, I think that's relevant because when we talk about the 1689 confession later on, that's going to come into play a little bit, and um, yeah. you know, and uh, that's probably some of the friction within the Reformed Baptist camp as well, uh, which Fisco I think does highlight um, rightly. So, yeah, but we'll again not not jump into that right now. Um, okay. So what else did Kelvin do aside uh, tweak the definition? <clears throat> um, well, <clears throat> maybe we should talk about the negatives. Right. So uh, obviously he uh, believed in infant baptism. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> there goes my Kelvin t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, he, uh, he had a view of infant baptism with a seatbelt, but there was just, there was a, a thing that's called the seed of faith. So Calvin mm. believed that when baptism is administered, that a seed of faith is put into the heart of the child through the administration of the baptism. And mm. this sounds very much like a carryover from the Catholic and the Lutheran. So yes. Calvin, in one sense, can be grouped with Luther and the Catholic Church in terms of <clears throat> baptism doing something, even mm. apart from faith. Totally. Now, he also stressed that faith is necessary, but he had this this dimension of in and of itself which as baptists we would go what and it's it really stands out for us um Mm, as mm. very bad totally that's an important point because a lot of what you see when you go through this you know it's just i mean it's just amen all the way in terms of the stressing of faith um you know perhaps in a you know it was there in luther but now it's it's really coming to the fore and um and so it's it's quite a striking thing as you say when you get to his attempts to include infants um, that don't have faith, you know, after he's, he's set it up so well. Um, and, and he has to do these backflips. And I think we, we spoke about this a little bit as well. Even these backflips are excellent. You know, <laughs> there you can't help but just stand back and go, my goodness, what a gymnast. You know, that was incredible. <laughs> um, but, you know, perfect form on the backflip. But, yeah. but, and it's a shit like someone, I think it was uh, Jewett or something, um, you know, he said, it's a shame, you know, it's a shame not to believe it. Once you, once you have gone through it, because it's such a, such a lot of work that went into that. And, um, and yet, and, and another thing that comes into it though, is that even when he's, when he's wrangling the whole thing and trying to squeeze things in there and just trying to work with it, he's still, you know, I think what we appreciated last week was that he's still deepening out points that even though we don't agree immediately, they become very important, deepened out things to look at long-term you know, and, and as you keep going and um, are helpful, nevertheless, um, you know, the, the place of inference really gives rise to further thought about covenant theology. You know, you have to really think about it. So even if he's thinking in, in, a, in a way that probably, you know, would stop at a certain point, we wouldn't go all the way with him. You know, just the, the fact that he's thinking about the way this works covenantally, 
uh, I think is important and it helps sharpen the rest of the covenant doctrine uh, in a helpful way, in a good way. And, um, you know, he's- Well, can, he's, I, can I just ask the question? So where, where, what exactly does Kelvin say? Because I know that Fesco makes the point that um, Kelvin obviously rejects ex opere operato, which mm, is yeah. the Roman Catholic view that the sacraments in and of themselves confer grace. Um, and he, so he, he doesn't believe that the sacraments have an ex opere operato function. He doesn't believe that the sacrament has power in and of itself. I, so wh where is the sense in which he's saying that the, that the sacraments do have? Like what exactly? So, so Fesco highlights that uh, Calvin believes in a seed of faith and repentance, which is applied in the baptism to an infant. Mm -hmm. So there's this benefit. Right. So in the context of infant baptism. Infant yeah, baptism. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. And uh, you know, he goes into some nuances where it's not quite like the Catholic view and he tries to dress it up a little bit, but at the mm. end of the day, there's still this alien intrusion where a carryover from, from Catholicism just seems to still be there. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it says, uh, Fesco says, Kelvin explained that adult and infant baptism were not identical. Yeah. Uh, perhaps he might've said that they are different species of the same genus. So I right, thought that was, right, that was interesting as well. Um, and which is, yeah. Yeah. So, so he, so, so Kelvin had a view that in some sense, when an infant was baptized, the seed of faith was planted in them. Yeah, and he was. Did he? Did he qualify that or pull pull away from that? I can't remember now. But um, he sort of was a little bit iffy on that at some point, wasn't he? Yeah, Luther definitely was. Luther, Luther was iffy. Lutheranism concretized it. Right. But Calvin, Calvin, Calvin seems to have, in the same way that Luther had this door open for it, he he also allowed yeah. for it. So sort yeah. of a, a reluctant allowance. So this is this, he says something like this, though he admits to a seed of faith and repentance in the child of every Christian parent, mm -hmm. this does not automatically admit the child to all the privileges of membership, namely the Lord's Supper, which calls for discernment. So right, right. giving yeah. it in on one hand, taking away with the other, it's. Yeah. And he, um, uh, the, the Limbus Infantium thing. Yeah. How did that square mm. in with all of this again? So he rejected the view that a child left unbaptized would go to limbus infantium right. or be justified by baptism. He believed that faith alone saves, not baptism. So this is where Fisco is saying, look, guys, he did believe in a seed of faith and repentance, but don't worry. He's not too Catholic. He rejected these Catholic aspects. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Cool. Kelvin completely rejected such notions, he says, as he believed that faith alone saves, not baptism. So there again, we're moving in a good direction, but it's kind of got this awkward uh, twist to it. And uh, it so, always gets awkward though when they try and explain infant baptism. Totally, always. totally. And um, yeah, isn't it, isn't it? But it's true though, isn't it? Like all all of all of the reformers we've read so far, um, they all get awkward about infant baptism. Yeah, I mean, I think the least awkward would be the the thing you've been talking about for the last two <clears throat> weeks um, on on the Roman Catholic side, right? Because they're just like, well, let's just roll with it, you know? Yeah, let's, it does what it does. <laughs> it does what yeah. it does. So let's make some rules. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, well, yeah, no, totally. I get it. You know, yeah. so it makes it, it, it makes sense if the if you would absolutely want to baptize your kids if baptism was the thing that you know regenerates them and totally. and stamps them for heaven or whatever. So. so to even further nail that down, it's just trying to stay Protestant and, and then it gets awkward, you know. 
you, if you want to. And that, and that is a, a big point, I think, for Kelvin, because, I mean, more so than Luther, he's bringing out this issue of faith, the justification by faith, mm-hmm. and, you know, apart from works and the whole deal. And, he's and the whole really thing about the word, out. you know, being necessary for a sacrament to be a sacrament, but then all of that being unraveled when you baptize an infant, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so I think we've covered more or less. I mean, everything we said with Luther kind of gets sharpened a little bit with Kelvin, but I think, you know, if in terms of just basic info, I think we're ready to roll and move forward. What do you think? Cool. Go for it. <clears throat> All right. So now the next thing he deals with is the Belgic <clears throat> Confession and the Heidelberg Catechism. And of course, that's important to the Reformed tradition. I mean, it's not as important to you know us personally. I think no. you know we're kind of moving in a little bit of a different trajectory there. Maybe the High Orthodoxy Westminster thing is a bit closer to home for us, but it is, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts there, Nick. I mean, I just really, all well, I, I just wanted to, to ask up, you a question. I mean, it's, you, you've heard of pan confessionalism. Yeah. So you know, where you, uh, yeah. you basically say that, um, what, what is your sense of the Belgic and the Heidelberg basically agreeing? Um, do, do you feel that's the case? What's your view on pan confessionalism? Are so they more was, distinct than the similar? I don't Yeah. I'm not I mean, overly familiar, so I can't no. really speak with much authority here. Yeah, no, totally. Me too. It's sort of out of my out of my wheelhouse completely. But um, I think but can um, I just ask by, by pan confessionalism? Are you saying somebody who basically holds to all the reformed confessions? Yeah. So what happens? And uh, it, it came up in the Norman Shepherd debate, where uh, Norman Shepherd wanted to drive a wedge between various confessions, saying, "Hey guys, let's stop glossing all these over." There's a lot of Lutheranism in some reformed expressions. Mm. And so he wanted to divide and conquer. Um, and the reciprocating push would be pan confessionalism. All these confessions agree. Yeah. Um, well, the, amongst the, the reformed, it's typically a three forms of unity thing. Yeah. Right. And so that they, they would, um, I don't know if they would say they all agree exactly, but they're sort of in general agreement and, um, and they're, they seem to be happy with that. Uh, do they give preference? They must give preference to the Heidelberg. At certain points, I wonder. Yeah, I've always actually wondered at about least that, at a that practical issue. level <clears throat> because it seems like I, when I read them, I definitely pick up some differences, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how authoritative that is. This is my reading, you know. But, but I, I get the 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 continental side just seems a lot more. It has more of a law gospel uh, antithesis thing going on. Um, it has a little bit more of a, I don't know, just a, a less puritanical all around. You know, it's got the it's the, the Sabbath very pastoral yeah. uh the sabbath thing is is a lot more yeah love the way the heidelberg phrases the sabbath guys love yeah it. just the unfolding much better than the 1689 <laughs> well i you know i'd have to agree with you to be honest <laughs> um, preach it brother um and so yeah those sorts of things um and uh, you know it just always strikes me as a um something i've you know obviously you've got the infant baptist thing going on there but but other than that you know i, I really yeah. love that confession is well, i feel like i've got all these sorts of problems with the westminster and all these things that you know i have to kind of maybe no i'm not sure that's connected to another thing i don't get much of that when i read the the heidelberg but, but it might not, it might have been because i haven't read shall i just read the belgian confession on the sacraments because it's it's a lovely glorious paragraph all right and awesome. just we can just sink into it and just mm-hmm. enjoy it So it's uh, chapter 33 on the sacraments. The Belgic says, we believe that our gracious God, mindful of our insensitivity and weakness, so there's the Calvin angle, Mm -hmm. has ordained sacraments to seal his promises to us and to be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us. Mm -hmm. So there's the promise element. Mm -hmm. He did so to nourish and sustain our faith. So there's sacraments building up our faith. Awesome. Mm -hmm. 
He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses, both what he declares to us in his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts. There's the visible word thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thus he confirms to us the salvation, which he imparts to us. So the confirmation aspect Mm -hmm. sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible. Amen. Beautiful. By which, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are means of grace there. The mm-hmm. Spirit's using them. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the signs are not void and meaningless so that they deceive us. For Jesus Christ is their truth. Apart from him, they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments which, which Christ our master has instituted for us, namely two, the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. You know, actually, hearing you read that, I remember actually having a bit of a thought. <clears throat> you know, it's almost because they've done such a glorious job in, in emphasizing the role of faith and grace and all that. Again, much of what we were saying with Kelvin, it is really more shocking than, than any other place when you see them talk about infant baptism. You know, it just, it feels, you feel the, where did all that go? Yeah. <laughs> What's happened over there? You know, and then if you don't have the nuance in place, you just... I mean, you obviously you're going to go presumptive regeneration or yeah. something along those lines. You have They've to. They've got two doctrines of baptism. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, it, it probably isn't as clear as it needs to be in that confession itself um, uh, in terms yeah. of the jump. And then people just read it and, you know, the popular sort of, I mean, I've experienced this recently, just talking to, you know, the, the reformed guy on the street, you know, and I mean, reformed as in, in a reformed denom- denomination of some sort. And, uh, you know, they don't know the nuance of, uh, of what we're talking about on baptism right now. It's, it's, it's just, oh, yeah, no, the Lord saves and he saved our kids. You know, and, yeah, and, and he'll yeah. just, they'll just kind of use the language that, that's talking about adults uh, for their children as well. And, um, you know, obviously well, that's, that's because like to... the liturgy, you know, it's, in, it's not in the, in the creed, but the liturgy, like in the, I sat through this when I was part of a Church of England church and in, no, it's like baptism is a sign and seal of the salvation that we have by faith in Christ. And it right. is also for our children. Totally. Yeah. You know, and so <laughs> you're like, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like, where is the nuance there? So like, I'm, I'm taking, okay, I've, I've died and risen with Christ. I've been united to him yeah. through faith. And so, the, so the natural assumption is that that's also what is happening with the mm. children. Um, yeah. H.M. Carson makes a big deal out of that. I like the way he, he, um, um, you know, sort of uncovers that as one of them. He comes out of Anglicanism, you know, he basically says, all right, here's, here's the real deal. <laughs> when we're doing all that liturgy stuff, everyone is just taking everything that's said about adults and applying it to infants. So he's like, you know, it's lost. If there is any nuance there, it's completely lost. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. either that or the, the kind of more discerning Anglican is saying, no, it's nothing like that but then has no idea what it is like. And also has difficulty squaring it with the confession itself, you know, yeah. the, which is... Although this, the 39 articles do leave a bit of wiggle room for... They? Yeah, yeah, they're quite Lutheran. So. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Well, it's, 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 it's... Yeah, so I guess you could call it Lutheran, but it was just because of you had a high churchish element mm-hmm. and you had a, you know, a reformed... Or, or, or typical evangelical elements, and they had to they had to satisfy both parties. So it does the wording leaves more space than in other confessions. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I just wanted to mention, um, just as we move through um, all of this, is that Ursinus, um, who was obviously important in um, uh, the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, really just incorporated and uh, clarified and you know, 
distilled a lot of what we see in Kelvin. So you want to you just go ahead and read it there, essentially. Um, uh, as, as Fesco says, what was often implicit in one exp expression became explicit in another, uh, yeah. such mm -hmm. as Sinus's point that baptism was an initiation right into the visible church. So all of that stuff, which we've kind of hopped over now, gets um, you know vividly expressed there, which I thought uh, is helpful. Again and again, very, like we like that. You know, that's a Baptist uh, point right there. Uh, it just becomes difficult when you have to figure out how that works for infants as well. Um, and uh, also, he says, there's a great degree of harmony between the confessional statements and explanations of sacramental union, which we haven't really talked about now, but uh, in, in both Kelvin and Osinus. I like that point mm -hmm. too, because that was huge. Um, so that's really all I wanted to uh, say about the Heidelberg before we get on to orthodoxy. Sweet. Sweet. Uh, baptism. Uh, so if you are if you have got the book and you're with us on this, we're going to chapter five, baptism in earth, early Orthodox reformed theology. So this is, um, man, I, I'm, I'm, this is all like my head's here right now for a completely different reason. You know, it's just cause uh, it just, it's such an important period for the development of covenant theology anyway. And, um, and some things I think probably went wrong, just a little Kleinian twist on the, on the thing, you know, with the whole <laughs> covenant of works and, and uh, when exactly, you know, God condescending to make a covenant of works and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I won't talk about it now. Let me refer, if anyone is interested in that, we, we did do a podcast, let's see, an episode uh, that would have been with Lee Irons. I think probably the first uh, one, if you just go back uh, over those archives and you find that first one with Lee, I'm pretty sure that was the one we were talking about. This it has to do with merits and where merit comes from and how it gets imbibed from the Roman Catholic um, uh, squabbles, you know, um, and, and gets the language gets used for the formation of, of um, covenant theology. And that ends up being quite an important point. Uh, wouldn't you know it for the whole thing I'm looking at now with uh, culture and kingdom and so forth, but um, to not get uh, thrown off course here, uh, you got some great thinkers during this time. And uh, it's interesting. A lot of the reform guys don't like, you know, the orthodoxy period in general, uh, you know, a lot, like I think Doevit and all that Dutch side that they think of uh, orthodoxy as going back to that dreaded dualism, you know, you were there. It's almost, they feel it's like a return to Roman Catholicism in many ways. Um, Fesco and um, really many of the Wait, two kingdoms. What, what, what dreaded dualism? Well, you have, um, you know, the Roman Catholic, well, you know, if you start right in the beginning, you've got the Greek, um, or what he argued or what he saw. And I think it's fairly, it's, it's, it's okay to, I mean, I don't think anyone denies that um, within dualistic thinking, within Greek thinking, at least you have very dualistic uh, uh, ways of processing anthropology and uh, just if there is any kind of salvation that's apart from the body, it's yeah. um, just the so soul. That, that body soul divide. Body thing. soul stuff. Uh, you know, that's, that's all very, I think a well-worn path in terms of, um, uh, Greco-Roman thought and dualism there. But the problem is that when, you know, uh, it, it, Christianity started up and then, you know, a lot of that got imbibed and just one, two, skip a few, we get to Thomas Aquinas. And um, of course, he's the big guy who synthesized all of that. And mm -hmm. um, and the guy who's pointing that out is Duyavid. You know, he's made it his life mission to like end Aquinas, you know, and just um, basically just go against any form of dualism and basically they get to the, the, the time of the reformation luther breaches this whole dualistic way of thinking reformation comes up kelvin kelvin uh, takes that even further david like kelvin for that reason and then 
the scholastics or the orthodox came along and just brought it all the way back. Systematized yeah. it and it took it all back to, to that um, kind of thinking. Um, and, uh, you know, so they have all sorts of problems with that. But the reason I bring that up is that Fesco is, is on the other side of that. He, he you know, he rejects that whole Deoverdian kind of neo-Calvinist angle and really embraces the, uh, this period and um, sees it as a mm. good thing. And I've actually... It's a, it's a big discussion, but there's some great books that show really all that's changing here. Uh, it's, not, it's not the Kelvin versus the, the later Kelvinists, but more like the, just the methodology really is scholastic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, scholasticism is a methodology, not content. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, I think that if you just get that point, you don't have to be okay. scared of these guys. You just, what you are going into is sort of a scrupulous level, level of detail. And, oh, and, it, yes. and it has these, um, yeah. these, these ways of phrasing things that are reminiscent of the scholastics of the medieval period. Yeah. But, um, but without I, them, yeah, I mean, without them, the, the enlightenment would have just run rampant. I think it, you would have yeah. had deism all over the place. Like, yeah. you know, without the scholastics, we would, we, we'd be looking at a very different landscape for the church. Definitely. For sure. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know how anyone could not like the the guys that we're looking at uh, at this point. Planus, yeah, sure. I mean, he's like one of the major dudes. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the look, thing for me, the thing for me, looking at these guys, yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know. I'm sorry if this is like a random observation, but this is something that occurred to me: is that all the time when they're talking about circumcision and how it relates to baptism. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about circumcision and uh, I might be merging the early guys and the later guys in my mind. So just forgive me for that. Mm-hmm. But they, when they talk about circumcision as a, as a sacrament of the old, uh, of the old Testament, mm-hmm. um, they, they never talk about anything other than it's, you know, so here's an example. The foreskin was a sign uh, that our nature is corrupted. This is Polanus, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Foreskin is a sign that our nature is corrupted, that men are born guilty in this carnal generation and therefore stand in need of regeneration and renewing, which was to come by the blessed seed um, who should bruise the head of the serpent and in whom all the nations should be blessed. So there's kind of two things there. The, the first is that, you know, it was a sign of our nature corrupted and like sort of repentance and, and faith. So you cut off the foreskin, you cut off the old nature and you know and that is there that's definitely there uh, you know in in the old testament and it's it's picked up on as part of the part of what that means mm-hmm. um but but very few people majored on the second part of that which was that actually it was about producing a a line a lineage of males from whom the promised offspring would come Mm. And although Polans has got both there, like mm. as the conversation develops, everybody's talking about circumcision as a sign and seal of faith and mm. of repentance mm. and of uh, turning away from sin and of devotion to God. But nobody's really talking about the, the purpose of circumcision mm. as being, you know, talking about, you know, one male to another until mm-hmm. that male, that male um, comes, you know, and I think Absolutely. that's yeah. part of where it gets, gets, goes wrong. Yeah, it gets hijacked by that by that whole um, desire to sort of find a way to make that apply directly to the new covenant. I think that's when it, when we get to the high orthodoxy part. I think that's one of the major major for anything negative. And I think there are points of critique for the 1689 confession, but but um, that's one of the major contributions. It you know brought about the the subject of dis- discontinuity. You know, it's like hey, we, we're not thinking about 
what is not the same year, you know? Mm. Um, if anything, it just puts that on the table for the first time properly in a confessional form uh, because it just keeps on getting hijacked, as you say. You know, it's just it's frustrating to read back on this stuff and see that. What did you think of the detail that uh, I think it's Polanus brings to uh, sacramental theology and covenant theology? So he talks mm. about, you know, you get the covenant of grace and you've got uh, the covenant of works has its own sacraments, the two trees in Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how he talks about both the internal and the external aspect. It just really looks like at this point, the details really just being unpacked, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's starting to get a little bit closer to Burkhardt, yeah. you know, <laughs> he's just coming a little bit closer to Hodge, a little bit closer to all those guys that just sort of the, that, that language that they use. Um, totally. And then, well, that's actually one of the big points I think from the section, maybe even just to, pinpoint what we were saying earlier and really i like it because it's just moving on a straight trajectory uh, you know fesco is just taking us on this journey uh through this and there's a lot of detail here for anyone who does want to have a look but but he says uh, there's still an emphasis on the sacraments as signs and seals um on the covenant right so that, that those are big things uh, they still are rejecting the ex opera operato view of the sacraments so all those things are still in place, uh, getting sharpened, as Nick just said. Um, another important distinction uh, was when um, Valibius carefully connected baptism with the initiation into the visible church. And mm-hmm. again, you know, just to bring that point out, because we're amening on those those moments, you know, those are helpful moments in our opinion, um, um, even if they have little add-ons to that. Um, mm. and then, and then two other con- uh, important contributions, uh, aims, of course, was the big guy. I don't know if you guys, have you guys read Mara of, uh, divinity or Mara? I haven't, of never have. I, no, I picked it up. I picked it up a little while ago. It's been in my want to read list, but just haven't got there. I, Bro, before you, get, be- before you yeah. get on to aims, can I pick up a, a point in favor of reformed Baptist theology for a sec? So, uh, just, look- <laughs> just because it's the, what the podcast is about just to be, just to be, uh, just objective <laughs> and neutral. Well, okay, I mean, good. So the two sacraments of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament, according to uh, Polanus, are circumcision and the Passover. Okay. And those, of course, are replaced in this uh, covenantal form with baptism and the Lord's Supper. So what I wanted to point out, and as it it sets something up in our favor, is 400 years uh, between the institution of circumcision Mm. and then the Passover. Mm. So the equivalence of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So you've got long before the Lord's Supper is instituted, you've got baptism. And um, as you go through to the New Testament and you've got John the Baptist baptizing long before the Lord's Supper gets instituted, Mm. you know, there's a big argument for why Jesus, you know, John's baptism couldn't have been the same as Jesus' baptism before Pentecost, which is different to the disciples' baptism after Mm. Pentecost. Mm. But you're seeing this separation in time 400 years between circumcision and the Passover. Mm, mm. Surely there should be some charity towards the view that John the Baptist's baptism is integral to the the, the new covenant baptism. Right. And precedes it. Yeah. By a a large gap before it. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think we'll definitely come back to that surely because we'll be looking at um, John the Baptist. I'm pretty sure he has a whole uh, thing on that. And um, let's be sure to come back and touch on that one. Um, did you want to say something, Andre? You were looking at me. No. Uh, yeah, there was another. Oh, the, the other, the other point that I just picked up going through this section again. It's probably this and the next section. But 
um, was just that I think that there was a real struggle to try and attempt to explain um, what what the covenants is, uh, what the uh, sacraments' sign and seal actually meant, mm. like at a practical level. So, try, mm. you know, it, it seemed to me like people were really grappling hard to try and, you know, and there was, was a sort of give and take and there was a bit of a flux as to, to what extent the sacraments actually did something. You know, what, what did it mean that they were efficacious? What did it mean that they were a means of grace? What, yeah. what grace was actually conferred? Yeah. And I actually felt, felt it moved towards, in an attempt to, to almost over-define it, I actually think it moved to less clarity than it was with Kelvin. I don't know mm. if you guys picked this up because, you know, with Kelvin, you got the whole thing about, look, it's about the conscience. You know, mm. that's, that's, that's where, the, that's where the, 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 the means of grace impacts the mm. Christian is at mm. the level of conscience. But it seemed to me like there was, in an, in an, an attempt to almost... Um, you know, tighten the screws a bit. It almost mm. got a bit bent out of shape and started to to squeeze out into new forms. That well, and that's that, part that of the right thing different. as well. Because you, the more you tighten on that point, the more you can't really apply it to kids, you know, or uh, infants, yeah. I should say. You know. Yeah. Well. That's, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. end up having to go a sacerdotal route of some sort, you know, um, which it, well, if it's not that, then something else. But it's it's. You know, it's a constant frustration because you want to major on that point, the consciousness and the, and the, the fact that the real presence of Christ and the sealing and the covenant of grace. I mean, these are great things to be emphasizing. You don't want to hold back on that at all, you know, and, um, and they didn't, but it led to other problems, I think. I mean, it's, again, speaking as a Baptist, uh, the whole <laughs> thing of promise, you know, infant baptism is a promise yeah. that if you believe, you'll be saved. Yeah. So isn't that the gospel call that Sorry. if you believe you'll be saved? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and that promise all... is for you and your children <laughs> <laughs> and to all who are far off. Oh, man. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think probably that sits it up well for what we, um, what he will, if he's going to follow Klein on this, then that becomes the thing, you know, because it's, it's, you know, Klein doesn't want to make any false promises on this. Um, but it ends up, my critique of it would be that it ends up just being exactly what Nick just said, just totally generic. Um, you know, there's no, there's nothing to distinguish the promise of baptism from just the promise that if you weren't baptized, you know, it's, it's, so either you got to baptize everyone, which actually clients seem quite amenable to at certain points. So we'll come back to that, but, um, or, or you've just got to, you've got to find another way to do this thing. But um, the, the cool part is that Fesco will wrestle with that, I think, because he's going to label on that exact point. Uh, the, the reason I like these guys in Fesco and Klein, all those um, kinds of theologians, is that they, they basically do see, uh, they don't want to go with the kind of the Presbyterian madness. You know, they don't want to move on, on that, that, um, that inconsistent thought that basically you know, if I baptize my kid, I am promising something and yet I'm not promising and, and so forth. They want to try and clean that up. And um, so I appreciate their attempts to do that. Um, mm. And I think a lot of it does just work very, very well and sharpen some Baptist theology at the same time. Um, so the only other thing here is just in terms of Ames, um, who of course was a major, major dude. I read half of it, by the way, half of it and I gave up. because <laughs> so it was just like, it's so different. And so, you know, well, uh, but I probably want to have another go now, but it, you know, what threw me as well. It's like he, he words things in such different ways to what we're used to. 
And mm. I was constantly freaking out. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, does he believe that? Then I phoned Jim Rainey and nothing. He's like, no, 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 he means this. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, okay, okay, that's cool. You know, and then Maybe it was one, all his time with the Dutchman. It changed the way he used language. Totally. Well, it's almost like, yeah, yeah, it's a whole, uh, a whole thing on its own. But I think they, they all kind of used that language and I just wasn't familiar with it. So it'd be interesting okay. to go back on it. But, but, um, but Ames is a I thought it was quite good. Theology. I mean, I thought it was quite, quite helpful, Ames's bit, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, it would be. I mean, he's like one of the, the most yeah. clear of them all, I think. Um, but it, anyways, yeah. what Fesco says here is two other important contributions come from Ames to, uh, who explicitly coordinated baptism with church discipline mm. and the covenant promise as the ground of administration. Yeah. Um, and these trends are what continues into higher orthodoxy. I thought that was a good good point. Yeah. So, I mean, just maybe elaborating on the second point. Mm. So, uh, the significance of that is where Luther, Calvin, and Wolebius and the Catholic Church all speak about baptism creating that seed of faith. Uh, Ames is saying that um, the child should be baptized not to create the seed of faith, but because they are already part of the covenant. Yeah, yeah. And that becomes key. They are holy, yeah. 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. Totally. And children should come to be, Matthew 19. Right. <laughs> and they just start throwing in verses that, well, it starts to create this um, external holiness covenant thing, you know, yeah. at, a, at a new level rather than the seed of faith, which is good. I think it's a good development. Wait, let me read his five reasons for infant baptism just very shortly. Yeah. One, because if infants are partakers of any grace, it is by virtue of the covenant of grace. And so both the covenant and the seal belong to them. So they are born into the covenant of grace by virtue of being born to Christian parents. Mm -hmm. Now but not the covenant of redemption. That's the thing. <laughs> you know, they start, they start playing games there. Wow. You know? They put it back there. Cause we would say, you know, you can't be an Adam in Christ at the same time. Yeah. And they're saying, no, you can be, you're born yeah, you into the covenant of grace by virtue of Christian parents. Yeah. And that's the, that's why I say it's got that whole, you know, external third category holiness yep. that, that just becomes a, a thing unto itself, but it's still better than the seed faith stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're, they're working it's... in covenantal categories and yeah. that, that's definitely something we can work with. Exactly. The second reason is this, the covenant in which the faithful are now included is clearly the same as the, is clearly the same covenant made with Abraham. Hmm. So this is where, uh, yeah. The covenant of grace, the Abrahamic covenant is merely an administration of the yeah. covenant of grace. And yeah. this is, we're all part of the same umbrella covenant, mm -hmm. which we could agree with, but we want to put in some, some distinctions so, and nuances. But again, I like the definition, you know, it's moving in, in a direction that ultimately I think is helpful. And, um, and I think that's an important point too, because even, you know, I, I think this probably will, you know, we're anticipating what we'll say next week or what I'll say anyway, and that when we're looking at the 1689, I mean, we're moving in a different direction to perhaps those who want to jettison all of this, you know, um, I want to keep this. I think this is some work that this is kind of that backflip that I was talking about earlier. It's a, it's got perfect form. It's a 10 out of 10 backflip. It's just, that <laughs> I don't want to do the backflip. I just want to do, you know, the, the normal walk yeah, forward. It's just, it wasn't necessary. They it wasn't necessary. But, in a straight line. but I think we can learn things about our physique. Oh, amen. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think we can learn how to do gymnastics <laughs> together, even though we don't all do backflips. And um, I think that this is um, just a really helpful point. Like I, I love the covenantal angles and I love the, the way in which if you, if you put this together with a progressive unfolding biblical yeah. theology, you know, it ends up being very sharp and very clear. And that's, and I think, helpful. where the 1689 shines. 
Yes. And uh, I think it actually has, it's very, it has a very, very, very strong point, which others have critiqued it as the weak point, but it's its strongest point. But we'll touch on that next week. But let me, let me give you his third point. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, where am I now? Um, this is a weak one. The covenant as now administered to believers brings greater and fuller consolation. If it once pertained to adults and their infants, the mm. consolation would be narrower if it now only pertained to adults to the exclusion of their infants. I hate that point. Because in the Old Testament, it also included servants. It also included wives. <laughs> it also included, you know, surely, surely it should be broader than that. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, I just don't understand that. I really don't. I don't understand how people would, would make that point. You know, like what yeah. Bible are they reading? You know, I know that's a bit harsh, yeah. but it's like, dude, so frustrating. I mean, my goodness, the whole glory of the new covenant is not that you get to, you know, add more people to your external typology, you know, <laughs> who it's, can fall away and never be saved though. They were once part of a covenant that, you know, could you be know, broken. Shout out to substance guys, you know, <laughs> like we get the thing. We don't get the fo- more photographs of the Porsche. We get the Porsche. Exactly. You know? and, His fourth uh, point uh, it assumes a whole lot when he simply says baptism supplants circumcision. And so we would say there's definitely a relationship, but, there's nuance there that they're not developing. Yeah. But again, he's, you know, it's, it's that whole thing about circumcision being a sign seal of faith. Like mm-hmm. that's a, that's all that they think circumcision that, you know, when they say that baptism replaces it, that's what, that's at the level they're talking yeah. about. But because it functioned about... that way for Abraham and Isaac was yeah. included as Abraham's seed. It functions in the same way for, for the believer and his seed. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah. where is the talk about circumcision as a, you know, this is the line from which the Messiah is coming. No, 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 no yet. Um, <laughs> totally. Oh, it, it sometimes appears, but it's all merged in with the rest of it. And it's, it's just very, bloody, yeah, it's almost yeah. like a throwaway. Like they got so close at one point and then it just gets discarded. Like yeah. it just, does, you know, yeah. cause it doesn't fit. Cause we would see development, not only in the external form of the, the sacrament in, in terms of, you know, it didn't merely go from blood to water, but we would also see development in terms of the subject of baptism. Mm-hmm. So that there's a, a federal headship principle with Abraham and his seed, just like mm. Adam and his seed and Christ and his seed. Mm. And there's a development in that aspect, which changes the subjects of baptism as mm. well. Yeah, absolutely. So, but anyway, and his fifth point is this from the very beginning of regeneration, where our baptism is a seal, man is merely passive. So because baptism applied to infants, mm. the infants are passive mm. and regeneration is you being passive. Well then of course mm. let's baptize dead people. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to say it. All the way. Dead people. I like it. Um, but, but, you know, just trying to salvage a little bit of something over here. I think um, that, that the, the whole passive thing is good. I mean, like when I, you know, I say it all the time, when you're, when you're getting baptized, even the very fact that someone else is putting you underwater and yeah. pulling you out. I mean, you know, just to just push that theological connection. I mean, basically, these are this is what it is showing it's showing that you were saved monogistically you know you did nothing but you know uh, you know allow allow this uh, or not even you know you just basically rested in, in this baptism that christ um underwent for you and put you through um and and so amen you know it's just amen that, and, and it is yeah. also when you call upon the name of the lord um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, yeah, but it's the, the responsive faith, and isn't the it? So, yeah, it's it's, it's God's the gospel. Word. It's, it's yeah, you're preaching exactly. the gospel. Yeah. So, you know, God saved you. Respond in faith. Exactly. Yeah. It's just when you, it just gets weird when you 
don't have a place to say and respond in faith, you know? Yeah. Or, that's it. Yeah. Because then, yeah, you've baptized, baptized. Well, you know how it often comes across. It ends up the, the functional form it takes is that, you know, the reformed kind of vibe gets so hung up on objectivity mm. that they, they're, you know, it's, and, and, and they don't like pietism and privatism and any of those isms. And, um, and it ends up just being cold orthodoxy. It really does. It feels like, well, as long as we get this right, I don't even care if you're in the room, you know, because mm. you're a subject <laughs> and yeah. it's all about the object, you know? Um, and, and, and that I, it can't, but negatively affect things a little bit, you know, and now yeah. I love the object of science. Let me just make that really clear. I have, Amen. you know, we just get the, it's, it's the first voice of baptism that must be heard is God's voice. Amen. Mm. And you know, the fact that we look beyond ourselves, amen, but it just, none of it makes sense if there's no subject is basically what we're saying. Yeah. And you know, it turns yeah. it's almost there. like a reformed version of Catholicism where actually it doesn't really matter about the person. Exactly. You just, you just do the ritual, you know, yeah. as long as you get it's the got ritual objectivity right. there as well. And, yeah. and yeah. that, that yeah. squares up nicely with Lutheranism. So they're all on that side with infants and pass- passivity. Yep. Yep. But um, I don't know if you guys have read uh, Bobby Jameson's going public. Oh yeah. I had a skim. It's yep. a great little book. What he does and it's, it's, you know, it's not new, but he brings it together. Well, he, he talks about the three voices of baptism. Mm. There's God's voice saying you're a passive dead person whom I raised mm. from the great, uh, from the dead and united with Christ. Then there's the church's voice saying, we hear your confession of faith and we add you visibly mm. to, to the body. And then there's the, the voice of the subject. Yes, I believe in Christ mm. and I'm committing myself to him. Mm. So those three voices, you know, those, that's the balance. That is the balance. You need them all there. You got the ecclesiological lens. You got the, you know, the yeah. God's sovereignty lens. You got the response lens. Mm. It's all happening. Yeah, and they're not all equal. So like, you no. know, the, the, you know, the God gets priority to God's voice. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 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 And you know, you might even might be a case um, there to say that even before your own response, there's uh, you know, you want to give that voice to the church. Um, Bef- mm. you know as a, as a priority because that's again it's a great objective kind of yeah you, you know what infant baptism is it's bringing in the family lens but jesus said my mothers and my brothers are those who who believe right. and who are obeying the word that the family lens is, is part of the old testament ministration yeah totally i mean wow could it, it's so clear in john the baptist you know like listen it's not it's not happening like that guys it's not happening <laughs> children of abraham thing is not is not exactly. gonna fly anymore so yeah all right, cool. We are so far away from Ames. No. We're, yeah, well, we, uh, we, we're uh, skipping the 39 yeah. article and the Irish articles. Yeah. And uh, okay. boom, that brings us to Westminster. Chapter Puritan six. and Vitsius. High orthodoxy. Now, Puritan. Uh, Puritan. Are we going to do this now or do you want to say this one? I, yeah, well, let's just make some comments because this will, we, we can circle around to land at the 1689. Okay, let's do that. All right. All right. Just a few things. I, I can do this in two minutes, right? I'm in overview mode. This is what I do on Sundays <laughs> these days. Um, in high orthodoxy, the Westminster standards represent the high watermark of confessional and catechetical writing. Any thoughts on that? Yes. I mean, I know a lot of Church of England people who disagree. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Amen. Is was the Puritans the golden era of the church? It's a wonderful time of revival. Um, you know, we just happen to be English speakers who are blessed to be part of the English speaking world mm-hmm, that have this mm-hmm. wonderful gift. Um, the Second Dutch Reformation would be a, a close equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this is a wonderful expression of you know 
the maturing thought and coming through the reformation and bringing it to a great crescendo. Mm. But so, I mean, there are obvious errors, but yes, yeah. amen. In terms of detail and in terms of, you know, basically mapping out a consistently reformed covenantal hermeneutic, it is pretty yeah. impressive. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the, what I else? just love the, his, the historical setting. I mean, you've got the Catholics, you've got the Anabaptists, you've got yeah. the Sicinians, you've got the Arminians, you've got all the, all the key players, which you'll mm, meet at, at any true. time in history. That's so true. And these yeah. are the people that they're responding to just you mm. know, articulating biblical doctrine to these different perspectives. Hmm. So totally. it does, it does cover a lot of ground hmm, for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's close to home for us. I mean, again, we're going to do the 1689 thing later, but it is, I mean, this is, we do love the 1689. I do love it. You know, I, I love every part of it. And I think that's because it imbibes a lot of this high water mark, mm. you know? Um, but, uh, you know, he says the whole thing here is that, um, you know, he does this whole trip around the continent and surveys the views of Tartan, which is, you know, epic, massive, uh, Vitius, epic, massive. Uh, Vitius is huge because he's the guy who starts adding biblical theology to this whole thing. You know, he basically, well, he's not the first guy, but, you know, he comes along with this definitive two volume deal and you can go read it still and it makes sense still. And, you know, it's one of those great works. Didn't actually get a lot of attention. John Gill republished it. Interestingly enough, like no one Amen. was reading it. He got hold of it and republished it uh, as a Baptist. So that's, um, that's worth thinking about, you know, and it's one of the reasons I like Gill as well. And that for all his idiosyncrasies, you know, he, he imbibes a lot of this uh, continental side as well. Um, but he starts, you know, you start seeing the covenantal thing kind of drive it to the point of actually systematizing the whole deal. Uh, you know, precursor to a lot of what we think about by way of biblical theology um, and Fisker says, these documents and scholars continued the trends that began in the Reformation, though these were, uh, uh, though they were a sharpening and honing of the theologies of the sacraments and baptism. Um, and then he goes on to list the, the, the key developments, which I think would be helpful for us to just quickly go through. First, uh, especially with the theology of Vitius, a greater emphasis was placed on redemptive history. All right, so that's kind of what I was alluding to a second ago. Have you guys read um, Vitius at all? only the snippets yeah i mean it's um it's well worth it it really is no, it's one I, of those it's one of those um you just got to get through that intro to the to the king or the prince or you know how they all did that thing it's just like whoa it's, it makes it sound like it's going to be a ridiculously impossible book to read and then you start and the and the and the intros you know just how he sets things up they always set things up with all that tedious info and then um and then he gets down to it and uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing book. And, you know, their view is, it hasn't got quite, quite, you know, like a republication thing going on, but it's like, um, he's got that mosaic covenant being a third covenant, which isn't subservient a covenant, covenant, right? It's not quite <laughs> subservient, not quite there yet, but it's, it's just very, very, it feels Setting very it at home and client. So, yeah, I mean, you don't see that at all really until, you know, that Samuel I, Bolton. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's an important guy. But anyway, second, her hermeneutical differences between the Reformed and particular Baptist positions emerged, right? And that's what we'll cover. But the emphasis on the uh, discontinuities between the Testaments produced a distinct Baptist doctrine of the ordinances and baptism. Yeah. So that's obviously where we want to major. Um, and um, third, the survey documents offer glimpses of the international character of the reformed tradition, but especially in the area of the sacraments of baptism. I actually thought that was a good point because that's true. And that's, that's a lot of what's going on here. You know, um, 
even just, I think we might've made the point a few times already, but you know, with Kelvin, you know, he's working with, he's working in a context, it's national, it's magisterial, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? You know, if you, you want to get away from that, but you might sabotage the reformation in the process. Um, yeah. Likewise with even the Westminster divides, I mean, the whole thing was like called as a national assembly. So, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. that's their context. And, and that would have clouded things without a doubt. And so, yeah, you know, really, I mean, the story goes that this is a real rough and dirty version of it, but basically it's, you know, the, the Puritans, as we know, were part of the Anglican church and wanted to purify it, wanted to um, make it more reformed, weren't happy with the way it was going. Some stayed in, some left. The guys that left ended up, um, you know, the Congregationalists and Presbyterians and so forth, assembling uh, in a way that wasn't you know, supported by the state, but then they couldn't get their documents and all those things. When you, when you got born, you got your citizenship and uh, whatever those little documents that you got were, but uh, the fact that they had already made a decision to not get those, you know, for their children mm. is what really brought about the whole question of baptism and, you know, eventually caused some of those congregational churches to, you know, uh, part ways and become um, Baptist churches. It was really this national character that, that, you know, that provoked all of that. So yeah. I think that's yeah. definitely worth thinking about as well. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just coming back to the Westminster confession and uh, paragraph three of chapter 28 says that, and here is where for me, the Westminster took a left turn. So through all the historical development that we've been looking at, we've been saying that, you know, from the, the Didache immersion is preferable, but if you can't, then here are some other options. Yeah. Yeah. That develops into, well, we're only doing infants. So for practical purposes, we can't really immerse. Um, and now here's the Westminster. Dipping is not necessary. But pouring or sprinkling is the correct administration. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a good So one. there's like, whoa, yeah. left turn. <laughs> right. uh, I don't know who they're reacting to. But this uh, Fesco gives the interesting historical background. He says that there was a three-day debate around this particular mm. statement. And there was yes. a vote. And the vote yeah, was 25 to 24 to exclude dipping. Oh my now, you know, you're cutting it close by one vote, but the statement clearly but says dipping is not necessary. Yeah. Pouring or sprinkling is the correct administration. That's crazy. That's I mean, that, that just doesn't reflect the, you know, the, oh, maybe, maybe notness of, oh of the decision. Totally. Totally. I would struggle with yeah. that. If I, if I was a Presbyterian, I would really struggle, yeah. legitimately struggle. So this, is, this for me is where they've stepped away from the, from the, the stream of understanding of baptism in the church. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is where I think that Reformed Baptists have tapped into the understanding that was always there and just brought it to light. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th I think it's worth bearing this in mind as well when we come back to Fesco's critique of the 1689 and its mm. insistence on baptism by immersion because the you know his basically his, one of his critiques that we'll get to then is that you know this is a break with the history of the kind mm. of ambivalence about which way to do it <laughs> but actually you, when you put that in the light of what's going on here in Westminster yeah. where they're basically saying that's not the way to do it it's a suitable you know, response. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It's certainly at the very least, you can understand that it's a pushing back against the pendulum swing, you know? Yeah. Um, and it may be pushing too hard the other way, but it's necessary to push that way because yeah. they've gone in the wrong direction. I mean, just looking at the statement of the 1689, and we'll touch on this next week, there is some wiggle room because it's not, it's not, it's saying here's yeah. the proper way to do it, but it's not saying you can't have exceptions. Right. Mm. Um, yeah, totally. The, the other thing that I thought was interesting about 
that was um, you know just under the in Fesco's book just under the heading on baptism, he comments. Uh, the divines therefore recognize that when a person is baptized, the right admits him into the visible covenant community, right? So there's no surprises there, but we would yep. mean slightly different things from that. But then just listen to this next bit. And, and this for me, I think is part of the problem. So beyond this, the divines also acknowledge that baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Okay, so that's what we were talking about earlier, that actually you can be part of the covenant of grace mm. and part of the covenant community, but not necessarily part of Christ. the covenant of redemption, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this, so, so this is part of what makes it so uncomfortable. But then just listen to how it goes on. So beyond this, the divines also acknowledge that baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, comma, union with Christ, comma, regeneration, comma, exactly. Exactly. remission of yeah. sins, comma, of the surrender to God and walking in newness of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's why it's a problem. And all that stuff's promise. It all comes into effect through faith. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you're, allow- you're but, allowed to wear the one that's exact, looks exactly the same as the one who is really united to Christ. Right. By faith. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that, that own description of baptism means you can't baptize infants. No, but that's, all and it also adult. means that the whole external internal thing is, is bogus because yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, well they just like, separate it by time. I mean, this is that's, how it goes. So, well, you're talking about Abraham there, okay? And that's true for Abraham. But we've got to include Isaac as well. <laughs> that's how it goes. It's maddening. So uh, listen to this one. Here's a pastoral concern. How does the baptism of an infant ben- benefit those who do not remember it? So this is, remember, we've been bringing up the question. Totally. What if an infant can't remember his own baptism? Mm-hmm. So here's Six the months. answer. Yeah. The directory of worship states that God's grace in baptism reaches to the whole course of our life. Therefore, those who have been baptized are to look back to their baptism, to repent of their sins against their covenant with God, to stir up their faith, to improve and make the right use of their baptism and of the covenant sealed thereby between God and their souls. But it still doesn't actually answer the question. No, it doesn't. How do you but do what that? What if you them? can't remember it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Telling them photograph? what to remember, but, that, I, it, but they're thinking like photograph, painting, yeah, oil painting. Yeah, I mean the most lucid thing. So I've technically, ever heard you don't yeah. even need to receive baptism to remember it. Totally. You could actually it's, always just watch a part, like you know, the priest broke the bread in the Roman yeah. Catholic Church, and he had mass on his own. Yes. You could just have one guy up there go, you know, getting, getting baptized. <laughs> just the father. That would be fine. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's so, that's exactly it. It drives me nuts. Yeah. I mean, and so the, the most lucid thing I think there is there is, you know, you can see the baptism of others, you know, and so you, mm. you just trust that that happens to you and uh, you, you just roll with that, you know, but it's like, yeah, it's just, it just reduces to absurdity. In some way. I mean, I guess, I guess to be, to be absolutely fair, they would probably say something like, look, let's say you got baptized when you were 15. Mm-hmm. And you're now like a 65-year-old dude. And you can't really remember your baptism anyway. You know that it happened, but you can't really remember it. And so you're still looking back to your baptism at that point, even if you can't really remember it. So I guess that, cold that would water. be to come back. <laughs> well, here's, here's another one. I want to ask you guys about this because you know, here's my assessment. You know, another issue is addressed. What happens to those who are baptized as infants and then apostatize? 
And so according to the divines, baptism visibly unites infants to Christ and distinguishes them from the world. So there's a visible separation. Hence, they, quote, by their baptism are bound. Mm -hmm. By their baptism mm -hmm. are bound to fight against the devil, the world, and the flesh. Mm -hmm. For they are Christians mm -hmm. and federally holy before baptism. And therefore, they are to be baptized. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. This is a big point. Confusing. This is a very yeah. because because one one Church of England guy here was giving a, a talk on on infant baptism and and was basically saying, listen, the first half of the talk was all look, it's not a magic ritual. Baptizing your infants doesn't make them a Christian. Hmm. But the second half of his talk was that, but they will be held to a much more stringent standard of judgment because they've been part of the blessing of being part of the covenant. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so what you're telling me is, if I baptize my kid, they get none of the be benefits but they get all of the curses. Like if yeah. they, if they break the, or, you know, all of the, the heightened standard of judgment, all the penalties for being an apostate, mm. if they turn away, but they get none of the benefits. Mm. Yeah. What I was going to say is this is like, we live in a context now. Like if we talk about proper preaching, you root the imperative in the indicative, mm -hmm. you know, because of what mm. God has done for you, you should do for him because yeah. you have mm. been justified. You should freely forgive because you are united with Christ. You have power to obey because you are his and he has done all these things to you. You can now obey. And when I declare these, when I declare it in this order, I'm not moralizing. Mm. I'm not doing moralism in my preaching. I'm preaching the gospel and I'm mm. rooting their obedience and grace. Mm. This view of infant baptism is not rooting their obedience and grace. It's, it's rooting so out of character with everything part of the new covenant in that that's way. why i mean i've said it before it feels like they're being put into a covenant of works totally and you know but by putting funny. them in the external covenant of grace that's which yeah. is, which is it seems paradoxical to me totally and even you know just uh, coming back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of going you know going back to your baptism and so forth and remembering your baptism and what that looks like if you were an infant see the thing is it does work if you were circumcised you know you you mm. very much could do that there was absolute proof every morning every morning <laughs> every sometimes morning. Twice every morning, you know. How much coffee? Sometimes in the night yeah. as well. Yeah, sometimes in the middle of the night, there's a lot of proof all the time. And uh, <laughs> the bottom line, the bottom line is, you know, it's just like it works. Is the point, you know? The whole thing, it makes sense. It works. And obviously, you're looking forward. You're, you're, you're a typological uh, people that are called to, you know, uh, look forward to that spiritual. Uh, reality that you've been called to um and, and then, you know the even the, the the vivid symbolism you know is is just meaningful but like you don't even have a physical sign that you can look back on now you know it just doesn't work for infants now it's, the whole thing is just not it's out of that's character baptismal to, certificates that's that's, that, that, that's what it amounts it sometimes comes down to that doesn't it actually really good point you can also you can also keep the baptismal dress that everyone gets baptized. Totally. Well, Christian now we have video cams, so it's all sorted, right? <laughs> That's true. That's no, true. but in all seriousness, though, like, you know, because I, I know we're making fun of it. And, and it, it is because, though, it's out of character with all of the wonderful theology of baptism. That, you know, you're making this point, Mike. It's just, it's such a, it, it's inconsistent. It doesn't work. Like, despite the explanations, despite the, the whole external covenant, internal covenant thing, despite the Abraham and his children, us mm. and our children, despite all that, it just doesn't work with, with the beautiful Protestant doctrine of yeah. baptism. It works for a typological administration of the covenant of grace. Works perfectly for that. That's when you... Yeah. You know, every time you get up in the middle of the night, you know that somebody wearing that same mark 
yeah. is going to come and save you. Yeah. Well, even just the genealogical idea, you know, it's like a re- yeah. male reproductory organ has been yeah. set apart for this. We're, purpose we're waiting for the promised one from Abraham to come and save exactly. us. Exactly. I mean, mm. dude, it's just, you know, and not to mention the, you know, the, 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 the bloody rites of circumcision and so forth. But, you know, just, yeah, it all works is, is the bottom line. I keep coming back to it. It just, it gets messy when you, it's a square peg in a round hole, you know, in the new Testament, it really is. Um, but it's the same covenant of grace, same, same, uh, you know, we want to hold on to that unity. We want to hold on to that reformed theology, as you were saying earlier, that that's, that's good. And, um, and that gets sharpened. And so um, those things we rejoice in and we want to try and, you know, imbibe and, and embrace as much as possible because, you know, in God's providence, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, how we even have the Bible, you know, because of the monks, you know, he sort of, I mean, my goodness, they were scrupulous in their, all their scribal ways and, you know, just monastic and the hermits and so forth. But my goodness, you know, God used it all. Not a scrap was wasted. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I, I feel like a very similar thing has happened throughout this, this whole journey you know, you end up with this amazing riches. I mean, the, the, the debate and the thought process that needed to go to go through uh, or needed to get worked through to come up with this, you know, yeah. produce and, such and, a... And also what we're saying is we're not saying they were, everything they said was wrong. We're just tweaking it the next step. And, we're and building really, on their shoulders. We're just absolutely. saying, hey, guys, yeah. you're right. You're right. Now take it here. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. Which is what the confession, I think, does. You know, that's yeah. even just the way it words the same wording but again we're getting into next week let's call it quits at, at that point Sweet. because uh, i think we're good for time um thank you that was great oh well done mike nice overview we blitzed it didn't talk yeah. about half the stuff Still recording bro you might want to stop recording save <sighs> yeah save it That's mike true. save it i know <laughs> <laughs> like an Israelite community with their own prophets and everything. You're still recording, bro. I'm not. Am you I? are. You are still recording. You're still bro. recording. <laughs> You're going to have to edit a lot of this out. Except for the stuff on circumcision. Oh, there you go. That's fully relevant. Totally. <laughs> well... <laughs>